0: Second Peter chapter 3, verse number 17. While you're turning there, uh, we have been listening. We do listen. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're always going to give you the answer that you want to hear, but we do listen. And some of you that we talked about doing uh, some parking and transfer for elderly or for those that need it. You have mentioned that it's kind of hard to get up and down off of golf carts and what have you. So we're going to try to launch, with the help of Brother Rob, valet parking for those of you that would like to utilize that. And so it's going to take us a little bit of time to get that together, but I think that's actually a better idea. And thank you, Brother Rob, for having a vision for that so you'd pull up front here they would meet you out there they would park your car for you put your keys at the welcome center after service you'd go to the welcome center they'd get your car and they would pull it up the same place that you pulled in so praise god we need to give him a hand that's really cool <laughs> hallelujah come on clap your hands like you really mean it thank you now don't everybody take the opportunity to say you need valet parking. (laughs) Uh, If you're able-bodied, all right, and you're young, you need to park out in the parking lot. But we do have uh, elders, and it is difficult to get from way out in the parking lot into the church. And then there are some situations where people need assistance. So we'll try to do our best to accommodate that. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17. You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Everyone say steadfastness. Don't fall from your steadfastness or your perseverance or your consistency, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Our the Lord, grow in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Don't fall from your steadfastness, but grow. Everyone say grow. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to, this is a weird title here tonight, but you'll understand in a moment. I want to speak to you about the number 14 chair, the number 14 chair. And we'll talk about how that connects to this passage of scripture. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would direct us tonight. We thank you for the encouragement that we can find through the word of God. We ask these things in Jesus name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Have you ever felt frustration and trepidation? when you see assembly required on a package. These kinds of packages are called ready-to-assemble furniture. They're also known as knockdown furniture, flat-pack furniture, or kit furniture, and all of that means there is assembly required that the customer must do. The components are separate. They're packed for sale in cartons. And there's some assembly instructions and sometimes uh, there's hardware. (laughs) And the furniture is generally, this is a key word, generally simple to assemble with basic tools such as screwdrivers which are also sometimes included. And the reason for that, the reason it's very popular is because customers can save money by assembling the product themselves. The producers and merchants benefit from selling ready to assemble furniture because the furniture is bulky once it is assembled and thus more expensive to store and to deliver so it makes it easier to deliver, to ship, Since the assembly work is done by the consumer instead of the manufacturer, its price can be lower, and a furniture assembly service industry has developed, making it easy for consumers to employ someone knowledgeable to assemble their furniture for them. So if you have white glove delivery, they'll deliver it, they'll drop it off, they'll bring it in, they'll unbox it, they'll put it up, and then they'll take the boxes away. If you don't have white glove delivery, that means that you're doing everything and there's usually some instructions in the box and there's an assembly that is required and there are steps to do that. Most of this kind of furniture is made from chipboard or MDF, medium density fiberboard, and the cost of producing this type of furniture is cheaper than using solid wood. That low grade timber is coated with a polymer laminate to replicate various types of wood, allowing a high quality looking finished product. Has anybody ever put together any of that kind of stuff here before? Yes, just about all of us have. This goes way, way back. This is not a new invention. This goes all the way back, this type of engineering, to 1859. Where the most popular item was introduced in the year 1859. In 1859, the number 14 chair is the most famous chair made by the Thonet Chair Company. It's also known as the bistro chair, and it was designed by Michael Thonet and introduced in 1859, becoming the world's first mass produced item of furniture. This is, that's not it, but go ahead and show us the number fourteen chair. I'm not looking. I'm not going to look. I'm not looking. (laughs) To look here in a minute. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna look. <laughs> it's made of bent wood. It did, it required years to perfect. It had a very affordable price and simple design. It is one of the best-selling chairs ever made. Some 50 million, number 14s, were sold between 1859 and 1930, and millions more have been sold since. Thonet's number 14 chair, there it is. Do you recognize this chair? This is a bistro chair. This chair was made of 10 screws two nuts, and six pieces of steam-bent wood. They could be mass-produced by unskilled workers and disassembled to save space during transportation. That is the bistro chair, 1859, the number 14 chair, in which you could flatten it into a package, take it out, and with just a little assembly, you could put together a bistro chair. So the technology goes way, way back. The more modern version of flat packing came from an individual by the name of Gillis Lundgren. And he was the fourth employee of the giant Swedish store, Ikea. He had the idea of flat packing and engineering furniture when he was trying to transport a table in his car. According to reports, he had to saw off the table's legs so he could put it inside the car and bring it home. And he talked to his boss at Ikea about the idea of selling flat pack furniture in 1956. And so Ikea started to manufacture, engineer, and assemble flat packing furniture. It's one of the largest furniture stores in the world. They started in 1956 and the most popular flat packing item that Gillis Lundgren built was the Billy Book case. The Billy Book case. This is how prevalent that case is. You probably have one or you've put together one or you've seen one. There is one Billy Book case for every 100 people in the world. It's just a simple Case that's got a cardboard backing on it. It flattens down into small packaging. You take it out, you assemble it, you put it together, and all of a sudden you've got a bookcase. Thank you very much. You can drop the number 14 chair. The number 14 chair was one of the earliest inventions of assembling something and being able to create furniture. Well, we're not here talking about furniture. Uh, entirely, But we're using that as an illustration to talk about how we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There are some assembly things that go into that. It doesn't just happen all at once, but there's some things that we take step by step. We talked about a week ago talking about how God uh, utilizes small incremental things in our life to develop us and to grow us. And this is somewhat uh, in relationship to that. There's some assembly acquired. There's some things that you have to do. And and I know every single one that has ever taken out one of those manuals and started doing that, uh, there's a lot of things that go through your head. Number one, you, you think about the engineer that has to think about all those steps and how you're going to get a finished product out of a gazillion pieces. And so you've got to label all of that, and then you've got to put pictures, and every single one of us has been frustrated at times because when you start going through all of that, you wonder who in the world is trying to torture you with all of those instructions. And then some of you get very, very impatient, and you decide, I know how to do this on my own, I'll just slap this together, and then you find yourself having to go back and reassemble and take that manual and follow that. There's some assembly required in this thing called living for God and spiritual formation and growing. Everyone say grow. There is a growth pattern that God puts us on and desires us, according to this passage of scripture that we started with, to grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's some assembling that has to take place things that go together and though this list that I'm going to give you is not exhaustive these elements are important if you're going to grow in the knowledge and in the grace of Jesus Christ I want to say from the outset in introduction here tonight that that should be our desire is that God takes us and develops us to be used in the kingdom of God is that why you're here tonight praise God I want to I want to grow in him. I want to develop my spiritual life. Amen. I don't want to be stagnant. I don't want to go backwards. I want to go forward. I'm not interested in going backwards. I want to go forward. And so there's some assembling to that. (laughs) That spiritual formation that takes place in a person's life. There's some assembling that takes place. Things have to go together. There's some instructions. Obviously, the Word of God is important to us, and you can't jump out, get impatient, and say, well, I'm just going to do this my way. It has to be done God's way, because God is ultimately the supreme engineer that puts the instructions together. I guarantee you, because I put some of them together, and when I got it together, it didn't look like it was on the package, which means I did something wrong. But when you assemble the way God intends for you to assemble your life, what comes out of that process is something that is valuable, it is something that is worthy, it's a testimony to how great God is, it's a sovereign thing, amen, praise God. So there's there's some assembling choir. And this is not an exhaustive list but I'm gonna go through some of these things that I think are important if you're gonna grow in Jesus Christ these things have to be in place in your life number one you cannot dwell on the Past Philippians chapter 3 verse 13 says brethren I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark of the prize of the calling of God in Christ Jesus I've got to forget about the past the past is not going to help you in growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in grace and knowledge unless it's things in the past that are victories and things in the past that are positives or things in the past that have been created and manipulated in a positive way so that you can see that good things have come out of it. But if all you're doing is looking at the past in a negative, critical way, it is not going to help you grow in Jesus Christ. It is not going to produce grace and it's not going to produce knowledge. Stop worrying about what happened behind you. People get absolutely caught up, they get caught up in thinking about what was done to them, what what's been wrong, what happened Twenty years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago and they're still feeding on that mess. That bitterness will eat you alive. It will truncate your ability to be what God wants you to be. You've got to forget about some things in the past and say I'm not looking backward but I am looking forward. There's a clever point that I've heard made in Romans chapter 8 where Paul is going through and talking about all the things that cannot separate him from the love of God. And somebody said very cleverly the thing that is not in there, I don't know if that's really a deal or not, but it's interesting. That the thing that he's left out that could separate someone is their past. And Paul says nothing about the past. And maybe that's because Paul recognizes his past was full of persecution devastating families things that really could have been an obstacle to his missionary work his pastoral work his theological work if he was constantly thinking about the past and never able to get his head up because of his mistakes and what God had miraculously done in his life that could have been a hindrance and I've seen people will go back and and they'll meditate and feed on something that happened so long ago that everybody else has forgotten it. Nobody even remembers it. And quite frankly, nobody even cares anymore. But that's right in the forefront of their mind. And it afflicts them. It causes them problems. You know what it takes? It takes about three months for people to absolutely forget. I don't care what it was. You need to stop worrying about the past and say, my future is what I'm pursuing. I'm not living back there with that guy. I'm pursuing what God intends for me to be there's some assembling that needs to happen in order to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that absolutely is one of them the second thing is wasting time and energy on things you cannot control Psalm 46 and verse number 10 says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Man, the human condition, especially among a set, a subset of the population that fixate on this. And in some ways, I've got some of this, and I, I got, I got, I got to, I got to be careful because everything falls apart if if it's not just working right, and this is not going right, and that's not going right. And then all of a sudden, the whole thing is not right, so that's bothersome. But there's some things that you cannot control. So one of the assemblies that is required in in this spiritual formation is stop wasting time and energy on things you can't control. There are some things that I don't have any control over. Praise God. But there's one. Thing I do know I do know that I can be still and know that God is God in the midst of whatever I'm going through I, I can't move the levers on what other people do I have no power to do that so why am I stressing over things that I don't have control over I'm just going to be still and rest in the fact that, that I'm not God and thank God I'm not God and God is God and he's a sovereign God I'm limited he's unlimited I'm finite, he's infinite, and he's a God that can work up even when I don't see it. Therefore, I'm going to rest in the fact that God's got it all under control, and I'm going to trust in him. Praise God. Number three, stop living in the trap of trying to please people. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10 said, For, I, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ, living in the trap of trying to please people. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Colossians 3:23, and whatsoever you do, Do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Stop living in the trap of trying to please people. At some point, you have to recognize God is in my life. God is going to use me, and there are going to be people that don't like it. There are going to be be people that, that, that have no intentions of liking it or celebrating my success. And so I'm not going to worry about that because I'm not trying to please people. I'm trying to please God. If you try to please people, you're going to get influenced over here. And then there's another group that you forgot about that's over here. And so now you're trying to please this group and that group and every group. And there's all kinds of group. And you will go absolutely stark raving mad. I am not here to please you. I'm here to please God. I want to please God. I want to do what is right before God. I'm not going to get in the trap of trying to please a certain subset the world I'm not going to try to, to 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 allow the world to influence me I'm not wanting to be popular in the world I want to live for God and I want God's favor upon my life and God's blessing upon my life that's what matters and if you're going to be somebody that grows in grace and grows in knowledge you've got to stop worrying about what other people think you come to God and everybody becomes a theologian you can't worry about what they're thinking you just keep living for God you keep trusting God you keep following after God that's what's important I'm gonna please God the Jews Jesus did all kinds of miracles and the Jews had a problem with that they had a difficulty with that Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They they believed. They would have followed Jesus. But they were fearful. And they were fearful because of the Pharisees. And they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. And so the scripture said they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Living in the trap of trying to please people. There's some assembly acquired to spiritual formation. Number four, feeling sorry for yourself. Feeling sorry for yourself. Feeling sorry for yourself. Feeling sorry for yourself. yourself. Cancel the pity party, nobody is going to come. Every time you open your mouth, you start talking about stuff that you've talked about over and over and over. And you act as if your problem is greater than anybody else's problem and that nobody has ever experienced anything like your experience. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know something. Every single person in this building has problems because life is full of problems. And so if you're not careful, you will think that your problem is is insurmountable and bigger than everybody else's problem. It's not. It is not. Cancel the The pity party. Every human being is prone to self pity. We are born self centered with the powerful drive to protect our ego and our rights. But this is one. Uh, indication that it is not right because it has self in the biggest middle, in the, in the middle of it. Anytime we focus on ourselves, other than self examination, we're in the territory of the flesh, and our sinful flesh is the enemy of the spirit. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, our old nature is crucified with Him. I've got to stop worrying about all this stuff. And having a pity party of of myself and all that's been done to me and recognize that God is so very good and I need to be thankful. You can't be thankful when you're in the middle of a a pity party. But if you get out of the pity party, you recognize that God is worthy and he's worthy to be praised. It was a pity party that brought down Samson. It was self-sin that the young ruler walked away from Jesus a pity party that King Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard and he lay on his bed sulking and he refused to eat until his wife came and said what's the matter Ahab self pity is never good it's never good life provides many opportunities to experience rejection, injustice and the cruelty of humanity and our natural response is self protection which often results in self pity but we can choose to either walk in the flesh or we can walk in the spirit. Amen. Number five, giving up after failure. Giving up can be a learned behavior. Well, why don't you try to do this? Well, I've already tried to do that and it didn't work. Well, then get back up and why don't you try again? Well, I've already done that. Well, why don't you try this? Well, I've done that pretty soon. Every answer that you give me is things that you tried that didn't work. So what you're saying now is that the problem is bigger than God. And that God can overcome the problem. Micah chapter 7 verse 8 says, rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Every single one of us in this building have had failures and difficulties. But the scripture is very, very clear that you don't stay in that it's not the failure that the issue. It's the choice of what you do with the failure that is an issue. Give me somebody that falls flat on their face but that gets up and says, I want to make a conscience effort never to do that again because I'm going to learn from that experience and I'm not going to let my failure dictate or control me. I'm going to get up. If you've fallen, get up. If you've made a mistake, get up. If you tripped and fell, get up. If the enemy pulled you away, get up. If you've had circumstances that are unsatisfactory, get up and keep living for God. Praise God. Number six, stop repeating the same things over and over. Second Peter chapter two and verse 20. For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it is happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire, repeating the same thing over, going back and rehashing and saying the same stuff over. It's starting to sound like a broken record. <laughs> it sounds like a broken record that you, you just, you know, uh, okay, maybe some of you don't know what a record is. A record was this big Frisbee-looking thing that you put on this player that spun and you put the needle on it and went round and round and round and and every so often there would be a scratch on it. And when, it, when the scratch took place, sometimes the needle would get stuck in the scratch and it would repeat the same thing over and over and over. And when we repeat stuff over and over, and this is not healthy. This is not growing us when we're talking about the same thing over. How about starting a new strategy? Instead of talking about all the negative, why not start talking about the goodness of the Lord? Well, my problem is stop talking about the problem. Start talking about how great is God is. Well, you don't understand. They're doing this to me and that to me and, and all this stuff, and I'm under attack. Stop talking about the attack. Start talking about the mercy of God and the faithfulness of God that is greater than any of the problems. You're a broken record going around and around. Praise God. The only thing you should get stuck on is this. God is so good to me. God is worthy to receive my praise. God is faithful and consistent in everything that he does. He's shown mercy to me and faithfulness to me. The peace of God is important to me. Another assembly is fear of change. The Lord doesn't change, but everything else does. Everything changes. Everything changes. Life is full of changes. And life is full of that. I, I enjoy getting in the routine of stuff, but you get out of the routine of stuff, stuff happens. It throws you out of stuff. and You try to get back into it and stuff throws you out. And it's a constant balancing act. Life is full of of change. Everyone say change. And nobody likes change, but it's inevitable. It's inevitable. So life changes. Everything else changes. But the scripture said the Lord does not change. I am the Lord. I do not change. And so you that sins of Jacob are not completely lost. Malachi 3 verse 6. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. Hebrews chapter 13 verse number 8. Amen. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to guide me and a light for my path. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Never rely on what you think you know. Remember the Lord in everything you do and he will show you the right way. What is the scripture trying to tell us here? Whatever changes you experience in life, and we've gone through upheavals and changes in the last couple of years, that has thrown people completely out of routine and out of of sanity and all this kind of stuff has been so complex. But the scripture reveals a strength to us that in the midst of all of that, God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know how I made it through all of that? Because I know he's the same God. He's the alpha. And the Omega that's how I made it too. there were times where I felt depressed but I knew I could reach out and say the Lord is a strong tower the Lord is a strength praise God hallelujah I don't have to waver because I know that he is going to be a God that brings strength to me praise God everything else changes but God does not change amen praise God another assembly is expecting immediate results some things take time. Another thing is living with an entitlement mentality. Entitlement in is an issue that we read about in the news. We can read about an individual that gives to us a great illustration about entitlement in the man whose name was Naaman that had leprosy and there was a Hebrew maid It told him there's a prophet in the land of Israel. If you go to him, he will be able to help you. He arrives, and the man of God told him, Elisha told him, go wash, dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And because Naaman was a commander of a powerful army, he was a strong soldier, he was well regarded by his superiors, he felt entitled that dipping in the Jordan River was so beneath him. And he went away angry and said, I thought I would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord. And he would wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Entitlement encompasses two attitudes. I am exempt from responsibility and I am owed special treatment. This is an entitlement attitude. This is something that needs to be disassembled from our life. Amen. We need to take responsibility for who we are and be accountable to what God desires in our life. And here's the last one resenting the success of others. According to the Urban Dictionary, I know Sister Monks would not appreciate the Urban Dictionary, but a hater can be defined as a person who feels anger and or jealousy for someone who has succeeded in something they have worked hard for. That's a hater. A hater is someone that speaks badly or takes negative actions in attempt to create problems for a successful person. Clearly, being a hater is not a good thing. And how we handle other people's success, especially when things are not going well for us, is an indicator of our maturity and our belief in our self. Amen. When people succeed, you need to celebrate with them. <laughs> you, you don't need to walk around that brand new car and say, that's really nice. Oh, look, is that a scratch right there? people do things and they're elevated don't try to tear them down because you don't feel good about yourself work on yourself and say God if you bless them and they're successful I know that you can elevate me so I'm going to rejoice in what they're doing because I want you to do great things in my life you will never get anywhere if you just tear people down You ought to know by now in this church that I really, really enjoy seeing people excel. How many of you remember Chuck Coburn came and preached for us? He preached winter camp, came, preached two thirty-eight. Ball-headed guy, remember him? Threw water all over the place, stuff going everywhere. You remember that guy? Did you? He's a great preacher, great evangelist. Now he's pastoring a great church. He never preached one time in his home church. Pastor didn't allow anybody to preach but himself. You know what I enjoy? <laughs> I enjoy watching other people feel the anointing of God, and all of a sudden, God starts working in their life and elevating them. I'm not in competition with them, I want to see them grow. That's why I open up this pulpit often to people in our church to preach. And you know what happens? What happens is there's a depth that grows, and all of a sudden, it doesn't matter who steps in this pulpit. I want to be here, and the Holy Ghost can do great things because somebody is preaching, because God is working through them. I'm not in competition with them. I'm celebrating with them. Praise God. Ministry is not about competing. Hello. Hello? It's about creating and unleashing the power of God. We start comparing ourselves and we get into competition with each other. You think ministry is gonna rocket? You think unity is gonna come in a powerful way? It's not. When you get in that into that kind of mentality, you're tearing revival down with your own hands. When somebody sings and they do a great job, we celebrate with them. When somebody exhorts and it's powerful, we celebrate with them. When somebody preaches and there's a move of the Holy Ghost, it may be the first time they're preaching, we celebrate with them. I don't want to compete with you. I want to see you do great things in the kingdom of God as we stand together. Tonight. ...into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles bond free, we've all been made to drink into one spirit for the body is not one member but many and then he goes to the foot saying to the eye, the eye saying this, the, the ears, the when he gets to the end, he says, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. How are we going to grow in our spiritual walk with God? There's some assembly, there's some things that have to take place. And and here's just a few that help us move toward growing instead of being stunted in our development. It's the chair. It's the chair. It's the assembly that God puts together that molds and shapes us so that we can be utilized in unity and power and so that revival can take place. Amen. I'll be honest with you. I get so much more joy out of hearing the good things about people than the negative things about people. <laughs> I don't I don't want to get... I don't want to get on the phone and hear about this and that and, hey, did you hear this and did you hear that? You know what I like to hear? Brother so-and-so stepped out by faith and you wouldn't believe it, but God came through. That thrills me. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to talk about. Praise God. So our altar service tonight is going to be that we're going to honor one another by speaking faith or speaking something into someone else's life that is a positive thing that brings together unity and helps us understand we are in this thing together because there is only one body of Christ and members in particular. So tonight at the conclusion of this service, I want you to reach out and say something nice to somebody. Amen. And not passive-aggressive. wow, there was a response there. Not passive-aggressive. Listen, 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 just for a minute. If you say, well, I don't understand what passive-aggressive is. I'll give you a couple examples, okay? Anybody that says to you, now, I don't want to be rude. Whatever's coming after that's going to be rude, okay? That's passive-aggressive. Somebody that says, that was a surprisingly good decision. Or shockingly, they've just given you a positive compliment in a backhanded manner. You did a great job. It was surprising. I was shocked. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Don't ever say little. Don't ever say little. Man, your little exhortation was so powerful. That was awesome. That was great. I've heard some good messages, but that little message you preached on Sunday night, whoo! That is terrible. Terrible. That's called passive aggressive, backhanded compliments. You're so lucky you got that promotion. They're just lucky because that fell in their lap. You just minimized everything and made it smaller in your own eyes. It's passive aggressive. Any promotion, any achievement, you're devaluing and belittling something. Praise God. Might have fell in your lap, but my goodness, look what you have done with it. God It's so, so good. Woo! You're just too sensitive. This is a big no-no. Because you have now just invalidated the other person's emotions. If that's what you want to do, that's dangerous. Because it opens the person you're speaking to to entrapment. They think you're giving them permission to do what they want to do. But the reality is far different based on the way that you say it. passive aggressive I'm not one to talk and then you talk <laughs> Praise God so tonight the conclusion is we're going to honor one another and we're not going to be passive aggressive but we're going to say good things and assemble something together that utilizes every single one of us to where we work together in the kingdom of God and we see God do great things. Praise God. So five people. I want you to find five people and I want you to honor them by saying something positive. So go ahead and do that.